Good to have all of you here with us. As I mentioned a few moments ago, uh, personally, I'm glad that I'm feeling better. I started feeling gravely ill about 6.30 to 7 last night. And, and, but, you know, when you're a pastor, you don't have the luxury of calling in sick. You just can't do it, especially when you're starting a new series. But I've, I think I've recovered. And, uh, you know, after yesterday's, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, after yesterday's, I started to say game, but it was no game. It was no. And we didn't get beat. We got obliterated. So if you're an LSU fan, congratulations. That's just, and, and this pains me, but if you're a Florida fan, I'm not even going to say it. I just can't bring myself to, I just can't. No, congratulations. Uh, talking to... <laughs> Talking to Kinley, uh, any of you know, if you've been here before, any of you know that we have grandkids? Any of you heard that before? <laughs> We've got grandkids. And Kinley's the oldest. She's five. She just turned five recently. And everybody got to go but Paul because, again, Paul can't call in sick. And Paul, you know, so I've, I stay in work while everybody else has, has fun. Don't you feel sorry for me? Don't, no, don't feel sorry for me. But uh, this week, uh, she broke her arm. She fell off the monkey bars. And uh, she put her hand down at the last moment and displaced and fractured her wrist, had to have surgery a couple of days ago. And they didn't have to do plates or screws or any of that. But the severity of the break, they had to definitely put her to sleep for that and cast that they did. So we've walked through that with her. And she's been such a trooper. She's been so courageous. And so I told her this week, and you grandparents can appreciate this. I told her this week, I said, uh, we were talking. I said, Kingley, I said, because you broke your arm, honey, and because you've got to have surgery, here's what Pawpaw's going to do this year. At Christmas, when you come down, um, I'm going to buy you an extra Christmas gift. What do you want? She named a doll. She likes this particular doll. And so uh, she told me that. I said, you, you've got it. And then the day of her surgery, she was in the little playroom, you know, waiting for them to come and get her to take her back for her surgery. And, and we're FaceTiming now. And she's walking around, got a little gown on, and she's playing. And you'd never know she was having surgery. And so I asked her, I said, honey, do you remember what Papa said? Because of your surgery today, what's going to happen at Christmas? And she looked at me, and uh, she said, yes, Papa, you said, this is just like a grandkid, you said you were going to buy me $100 for Christmas. And I'm like, okay, I think she's under anesthesia already. She appears to, I don't remember saying 100. I remember saying one, and I guess it's all in her head. It's all in her head. And uh, we're starting a series today, and I'm glad that each of you are here today as we launch into what is going to be a three-week series. Can you believe this? By the time we come to the end of the series, which is a brief one, really, three weeks, do you know we're already going to be just at November? It's hard to believe. And we're calling it, it's all in your head. And as we dive right in, I want to ask you, do you realize this? I want you to think about this. Do you realize that the way that you think actually parallels with the way that you live your life? Let me say that again, that the way you think and the way that I think actually parallels with the way that we live our life. Did you know this? That our wins and our losses, our failures and our victories are often connected to just how we think. Our mind, our brain, our thought process is an exceedingly complex kind of thing. In fact, not too long ago, I was reading a book. It's probably been uh, two years ago now. And I brought this one paragraph with me because I think it says it rather well. 
This author writes, God's gift of your mind is unbelievably lavish, the gift of your mind. Before you were born, your body produced, before you were even born, your body produced about 200 billion, billion, not million, billion neurons, giving you the power to think and react, even before you were born. You had, this writer says, such an embarrassment of riches that by the time you were born, you had killed off around 100 billion of those neurons and you never even missed them. Between your second month in the womb, your second month, tell me that life does not exist before birth. It most certainly does. Between your second month in the womb and your second birthday, your body was producing, this is amazing, 1.8 synapses per second, and you weren't even tired. And then this writer says, your thoughts have enormous power over your life. And that is so true. And I want to encourage you to be here for the next couple of weeks as we talk about uh, this, this whole idea. It's, it's in our head and we focus on our mind and our thinking and how that our thoughts really do have an enormous power over our life. And to get us rolling in this very first week, I want to travel together with you. If you'll look with me on the big screen here, this is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. And look at these words with me. This is Paul now, this great church leader. He said, for though we live in the world, and we know that, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We're coming back to that word. We need to talk about that. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And read this last part with me, everybody. Let's all read it together. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what is Paul, this capable, highly intellectual church leader, telling us here? He is telling us, and we can't miss this, that though we live in a real world, a real world with tremendous hardships. It's as though we're in a war zone. And Paul is saying, even though that is our situation, that we fight a different kind of war that actually does not demand conventional weapons. And furthermore, I think he would lend us to know that the weaponry which we do use, he is saying, has the powerful, and this is the part that we need to talk about, has the powerful capability of pulling down, and you saw this word, it's still on the screen, look at it again, about the third or fourth line down, strongholds, strongholds. But when we see that word, I mean, if you're like me, you ask a question, all right, well, I've read that, maybe you've read it many times in the Bible, but you're like, okay, I, I see it, I see it on the passage that we're talking about today, but actually, what is a stronghold? And I want to just mention real quickly what a stronghold actually speaks to. A stronghold we might would liken to a, a fortress. We might refer to it as like a well-defended castle is the language that is used for a stronghold or to hold somebody or hold something in captivity. It can also be linked to this thought that I'm going to give you right now that I'll, I think you'll keep alive in your head throughout this, uh, this talk and I'll mention it a time or two more. It, it's this idea of a prisoner who is locked or trapped in deception. Let me say it again. This idea of a stronghold is this thought of a prisoner who is trapped or locked by deception. 
Now, why should that matter to us? Why should that matter to us? Why do we even take time on a Sunday morning like this to even talk about it? Does it have anything to do with our life? And I think you're going to find out that it actually has a lot to do with our lives. Now, did you know that for most every person here, there might would be a handful of exceptions at, at most but do you know that for most every person here that you have, that I have some sort of stronghold in our mind? Do you know that? And if you're saying, well, you, pff, no way, no, how? I don't have any, anything like that. I don't have any wrong thinking going on. I don't have any strongholds in my mind. Uh, do you know, can I just tell you that if you feel that way, that's actually even a little bit more alarming to me. I'd much rather you just say, yeah, man, yes, absolutely. Like I would, yeah, I, uh, you know, I've got a stronghold in my mind. And rather than say, no, not me, maybe probably everybody else down my row. But, uh, you know, I'm like the exception to that. And uh, I, uh, I think you're going to find out as we get a little more into this, that maybe there's some things that you need to give thought to concerning your thinking. So I'll give you a couple of things out of the Bible concerning strongholds, really, uh, that arise uh, out of this 2 Corinthians passage. First of all, you may want to write this down somewhere. If we're going to demolish strongholds, that's the language that Paul is using here in this context. If we're going to demolish strongholds in our mind, we must begin, here we go now, by identifying them. If we're going to eliminate if we're going to rid our mind, if we're going to, as Paul said, demolish strongholds in our mind and our thinking, where do we begin? We, buy, we begin by identifying what they are. Now, that sounds simple, but how many of you know a lot of times things sound simple, way more simple than what they actually are? And what makes this complex and difficult is this, if we have allowed ourselves to become deceived. And we may not even know, even when I say, hey, you probably have a stronghold in your mind. And you're like, no, I don't. And you may not even know. What's that expression? You don't know what you don't know. And a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. And so we're like, hey, everything's perfect with my thinking. But, uh, but again, Paul is saying, hey, there's probably some strongholds in your mind that you're going to have to deal with. And we'll mention some, by the way. And uh, God's certainly aware of it. Other people maybe have even seen it in your life. The devil has probably initiated it, but you can't see it. Maybe because you're blind to it. Maybe because in some way you've been deceived. And it's like, well, that's not a stronghold. And I, I don't think that way. And I don't believe that way. I want you to take a look at what Paul says. This is not 2 Corinthians. This is actually what he says in 2 Timothy. Look at this on the screen. He says, then they will come to their senses. And that's what all of us actually need to do somewhat today is just come to our senses to say, hey, I'm going to see things as they really are. Uh, they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. Remember this idea of a prisoner locked by deception, a fortified city or, or castle, a fortress. For they have been, it's this whole idea again, it's a totally different book in the New Testament, but they have been held captive by him, the devil, to do what it is that he wants. Now, there's, there are scores of you right here, right now, that this would forcefully change your life if you would allow God's power, and that's the key, if you would allow God's power in you to cause you to be able to escape the trap that the devil has laid for your life. Now, could it be that in some area, all right, this is the, the uh, a question I'm posing to you. 
Could it be that in some area of your life, it may not be multiple areas, it may be one, maybe two, but it could it be that in some area of your mind, in your thinking, that you have become a prisoner trapped by deception, a captive. Remember, bringing thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus, not captive to the way that the, uh, that the evil one works. Now, how is it, having said that, how is it in this regard what we're talking about? And again, I've got to move quickly because I've got a lot to cover with you, and I can do it all in 22 and a half minutes is about the time I have left. So uh, how does that happen? How does the evil one accomplish this? And I'll tell you primarily how he does this. He does this... You know, to build strongholds and deception in our mind, you know how he does it? He typically does it through his, through his lies. How many of you know the devil is a liar? The devil is a liar. That's not just a common expression. It's the truth. Now, let me ask you a question. Has anybody ever lied to you? It's not a trick question. Has anybody ever lied to you? Wave your hand at me like this if anybody's ever lied to you. You know what's unique about that? Those are the ones that you know about. You with me? Those, those are, yeah, somebody, I asked a question, yeah, somebody's lied to me. And those are the ones you know about. You don't even know about the ones you don't know about, the people that have not been honest with you, all right? You don't, you don't even know that. Somebody said to you, and it's not even accurate at all, all right? And I'm embarrassed to tell you this. And let me just say, if you're a young person, your pastor is telling you this with a warning, don't ever duplicate this. Don't ever do anything like it. If you do, your parents are going to beat you. I'm just telling you ahead of time. But when I was about 13, and I'm embarrassed to tell you this, when I was about 13 uh, years of age, my friends and I got together and we concocted this brilliant, what we thought would be a brilliant scheme. And that is what we would do is we would call phone numbers at random and we would deepen our voices because, you know, your voices at 13 really aren't that deep. So we would deepen our voices and we would announce that we were calling from radio station W whatever it was. So we would play a song. We would play a song, a very popular song, all right? We'd play a very popular song because we're from station W whatever, and we've got a special deal going on right now. And if you could guess the name of the song, we've got a very special prize we're going to mail you. And we're sitting around, about three of us, and we're doing it. We get people on the phone. We're from WK. We're going to play a song. And if you can, and we name some outlandish and people would start getting really excited about it. And we would purposely play everything, but like one word in the song. And I mean, you would, I mean, if you'd never even heard the song, you could probably guess the song. I mean, we made it that obvious. And we'd say, you won, you won, you won. And people would get so excited and we'd get their address. And how many of you know, they still haven't got their grand prize. Gertrude, I told you the mail was slow. They still haven't got it to this day. Still haven't got it. Do I feel bad about that? Absolutely, I feel bad about it. The only reason I'm even willing to tell you that I was a part of something like that is because some of you have kids that are really honorary, and you're like, are they going to turn out to be okay? And I'm saying, I'm, I've turned out to be at least halfway normal. So there is hope. Don't give up. Don't give up hope just because, all right, I'm just wanted to encourage parents here for just a little bit. Now, was that wrong? Absolutely, it was wrong. Do I feel bad about it? 
Yeah, I feel bad about it. They never got the cars and the, all the other things that we, we promised, the uh, elaborate vacations, and they just never got it. And, you know, I feel totally bad about it. But having said that, and I'm not minimizing how wrong that was, but can I just tell you, that is small potatoes by comparison with what the devil is constantly up to. Well, what the devil is constantly up to. Look with me. In fact, I want you to do more than look at it. I want you to read this with me. This is something that Jesus actually said about the devil. John 8, 44. Let's all read it together. Whenever he is talking about the, the devil, whenever he tells a lie, he's doing what comes naturally to him. He is a liar and the father of lies. Now, I'm, I'm going to stop. I want you to read, and I'm going to listen to you read that last line again, all right? So, everybody, I'll get you started, but you finish it. He's a liar and father of lies. He's a liar and the father of lies. You ever hear these expressions, the father of such and such? Uh, how, many of you, how many of you are currently in school? Wave your hand at me if you're currently in school. Wave your hand at me. All right, you're currently in school. How many of you have been uh, past school for uh, quite some time now? It's been, a, it's been a while. So it's going to be more of a challenge for you. A buddy I was talking to part of service. He's got some important exams this week. He's working on his PhD. And I'm like, wow, that's like really, and I, he's going to do really well on that. But I'm going to take you back to school, and I'm going to name, you know, you hear that expression, the father. Jesus said, the devil's the father of life. But I'm just going to jog your memory just to see if you paid attention while you were in school. All right, so you ready? And you can just call it out. It's okay. And you're like, can you do this in church? Is it like really legal? Yeah, it's really legal here. You can do this. All right, so I'm going to call it out, the question. You give me the answer. The father of biology. <laughs> you need to go back to school. All right, go back to school. Uh, we've got a lot of leading professors here from Southeastern University. Could you sign people up right after this service? Out of the Father of biology. Aristotle. All right, I'll get you started. You're going to do better now, especially on this one. The father of electricity. Benjamin Franklin. This may have been a bad idea. The father. All right, you're going to get this. Some, I know we've got doctors here. You're going to get it. Doctors, help us out. Nurses, help us out. The father of modern medicine. Are you, are you messing with me? Is this like April Fool's? Who is it? Hippocrates. Right. All right. So will somebody please get something right? The father. Oh, if you miss this, I'm, 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 I'm done. No, I'm, I started to say I'm done, but you'll withhold because you want to get out early. So I'm not even going to do that. The father of psychology. Freud, all right, father of psychology. Let's shift. I think maybe you'll do better here. I think maybe not on the first one, but the father of, this is going to be hard, I'll tell you, the father of gospel music. Jesus, I mean, his part, I mean, that's pretty good. Yeah, but, all right, I can't say it's wrong, but it's not the answer I was looking for, all right? Jesus is never wrong, you know? Thomas Dorsey, the father of jazz. Anybody? You're going to kick yourself when I tell you. Louis Armstrong. Louis Armstrong, the, fa the father of soul. Jesus? I, I don't know. The, this soul, but all right, I thought I heard it. All right. The father of soul? James Brown. You're right. All right, how about this one? The father of cool 
of cool. You're looking at it right here, right here. You're just, right here. just kidding. Why are you laughing at Just Google it. You'll see. That's, it's accurate. Just Google it. And the father of lies, Jesus said, is the devil. And with his lies, he attempts to construct strongholds in our minds. What kinds of strongholds? Maybe you've never thought of it this way, but for a lot of people, and people love God, love Jesus, devoted to Christ on their way to heaven, but they may have a financial, what we might would call a financial or a material stronghold in their mind. And generally speaking, it looks something like this. You know what? I'm not real happy. I love God. I know I'm going to heaven. I come to church. I read my Bible, but I'm, I'm not really happy. I think if I I would be more happy if I had a nicer house than the house that I'm living in. If I had a newer car than this thing, you know, this beater that I'm driving around. If I had more fashionable or more expensive clothes, you know, if I had a better paying job, that would make me happy. If I had greater financial security, that would make, and that becomes, listen, friends, over time, it can become a stronghold. It can deepen. In fact, you know, it can be, and we wouldn't say it out loud, but you know what? I want what they have. I'm a little bit jealous. I'm a little bit envious, and it becomes a stronghold. I wish I had what they had, or, you know, why doesn't God bless me like that? I see them, and I think I'm as good as them. In fact, you know, this person, I know I'm better than them, and they seem to be blessed, and why? And it becomes, listen, a financial or a material stronghold in your mind that seeps into your thinking. But it's not just financial and material strongholds. It can actually be a, a, a relational stronghold, a relational stronghold. And sometimes, you know, uh, a person saying, like, why am I so lousy at friendships? I just, why am I so lousy at friendships? I, I, I get friends, but I can't keep friends. Or, or why do I feel distant from my own family? If it, all people that I ought to feel close to. Well, I want to be close to my parents, but why don't I feel close to my parents? Or I want to be close to my kids, but we don't seem, or my spouse, or, or you know, siblings of mine. Why? Well, how about this one? A, a relational stronghold. I want to get married. I really do. I want to get married, but why does it seems, seem that when I start getting close to somebody, I get afraid, and I just sort of sabotage the relationship? and it, you know, it doesn't materialize and it's like over. Why? And listen, how many of you believe that there can be relational strongholds in our mind? Do you believe that? And sometimes our, our strongholds are connected to habits and addictions where somebody says, you know what? I, I, I know I'm addicted to drugs or I know I'm addicted to alcohol, but this is my deal and it's not bothering anybody else. You know what? I've seen that so many times that a person, or have you heard this one? Or have you said this maybe? You know what? I can stop anytime I want. I could, I could stop tomorrow, but you can't. You tried if you don't get the help of God. I've heard that again and again. Or how about this one? Why can't I stop looking at pornography? Or why am I addicted to spending money or eating or social media? Why, why do I just have, you know, just strongholds that begin to form in our mind? It could be that we're actually battling a spiritual stronghold. And, and that generally plays out something like this. Why can't I trust God? I know God. I read about God. I believe in God. But why can't I trust God fully? Why can't I trust God with this part of my life? Why can't I turn this over to God? Why, why can't I surrender my life fully to God? Why is it that I feel that I've got to be in control in the moment? that I start really like full surrender to God. It just feels like some area of my life is not under my control anymore and that feels weird to me. Or maybe it's the stronghold of saying, you know what? I'll never be a good Christian. It's impossible because I have too much baggage in my life or I don't have the kind of support from my family and my friends the way that I need it. Or I've got this secret and shameful past that if anybody even knew what I did in the past, if anybody, if anybody, anybody, anybody ever knew what I did in the past, it would be like so humiliating, embarrassing to me. 
And so there's these strongholds that form in our mind, financial, material, or you know, relational or spiritual or, or these addictive kind of. And um, the reality is, friends, we're not going to really make a lot of progress unless we identify it, unless we name it for what it really is. But secondly, we must do more than just identify our strongholds. According to Paul, we need to attack them. And we can't be passive about this. There may be some things in your life that you can get by on for a while by being, you know, sort of entering into passivity, but you're not going to be able to get by with passivity in this regard. We need to go on the offensive. We need to go, and even when I say that word, you know, the thing that comes to my mind, to go on the offensive, the only thing I could think of, sort of, you know, like LSU did yesterday, (laughs) who went on the offensive again and again and again, just ran all over our defense. We got to be proactive. We cannot just wish them away. Uh, I want us to read this next verse together. All right, let's all of us read this verse. This is out of Proverbs. A wise man attacks the city of the mighty and pulls down the stronghold in which they trust. So I need to identify, God, is there any kind of stronghold in my mind? You know, like financial and, you know, I'd, I'd be happy if this or, you know, relational and or whatever, whatever area, identify it, but then attack it. Attack is a passive word. It's an action. It's not a passive word. It's an action word. So we attack what the devil has done or is attempting to do, but we don't do it in our own strength. We do it with the power of God. Now, do you remember, do you remember what Paul says back in 2 Corinthians 10? I want you to look at this again. The guys are going to put it up on the screen. This is what he said. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. Now, I hope that you realize this, all right? I'm just going to say it. I think most of you know it by now, although I'm beginning to wonder. You didn't do so great on the father of kind of quiz, but, uh, you know, I think maybe you realize this, that your enemy, listen, your enemy is not your boss. It is not your boss. Uh, you may feel like that, but it's not, that's not your enemy. Your enemy is not your ex. That is not your enemy. It's, your enemy is not even some particular, um, you know, uh, party, government party. Uh, it's, it's, not, it's not that, a political party of some kind. It, it's not a segment of subculture. These things are not our enemies. The undeniable enemy of your life and my life and your soul and my soul is the devil who does this. Listen now, who thrives on creating strongholds that will keep us locked up like a prisoner who is trapped by deception. Can I give you some insight here? Would I surprise you if I told you that the devil hates God? Do you believe that? Wave your hand at me like that if you believe it. The devil hates God. But this is what the devil knows. The devil knows that he cannot defeat or destroy God whom he hates. So guess what he's going to try to try to do? He's going to try to defeat and destroy you because you're a child of God. And it's like, you know, why am I having these problems? You know, I would encourage, because some of you, and this is nowhere in my notes, and I haven't even thought about it until this moment, but I believe it's God, because generally when I do something like this, it's, it's not me, it's like, and I'm, I'm not trying to lay this on God, because I may be missing it. But for some of you right now, that you're walking through some stuff in your life, I've just got a word from you, or for you, all right? I got a word for you. P- please listen. Stop blaming God. Stop blaming God. 
Like, well, this is going on in my life, and it's got to be God's fault. Stop. Stop blaming God. God wants to help you. God wants to bless you. God has a future and a hope. Now, God will discipline us. How many of you know that? But the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. If you're a parent, why do you discipline your kids? You do it because you love them and you want them to grow up right. God will discipline us, but you're, this, what you're going through may not have anything to do with discipline at all. It may be that the enemy is bringing an attack in your life, trying to construct some sort of stronghold in your life, and you know, if you're not careful, you'll start blaming God about that when God has nothing to do with it. In fact, God is saying, you know what? You keep, the devil has attacked you in this area of your life. And why are you blaming me when I'm the one that wants to give you the power to be able to defeat this? Are you with me on this? Does this make sense to anybody? You know, God, why? And God's saying, hey, I'm here. And you're just trying to do this in your own power. Why don't you tap into my power? Uh, look at 2 Corinthians 10.4. Look at this. We saw it earlier, but look at it isolated. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. When you see the word divine power, what do you think about? You think about God. God has divine. God is divine. God has divine power. Uh, you and I don't have divine power to demolish strongholds, but God does. And we're going to pick up on this uh, next week and continue. So I want you to be sure, I'm out of time, but I want you to be sure that you are back here next week. And if you can think of, even, even while I've been talking this morning, you have thought, many of you of a friend or a family member, somebody that you work with, you're like, they need to be hearing this right now. I know some of you have thought that way. Then what you need to do is you need to get them back here next week. And we're going to pick up this new message series next Sunday. But before we're done, I want to mention two primary weapons that God gives you to fight the devil. Are you ready for this? And I'm just going to mention it. And then I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that God's going to help us. Two primary things that God gives us to fight the devil. Number one, the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Listen, friends, when you charge forward to fight, you fight. But when you pray, God fights. Some of you know this story. Uh, when I was, I was like middle school age, we had like a big bully in the neighborhood and this guy literally, and I was much younger, you know, I, and, and much smaller than him, by the way, I have not, uh, just so you know, I've not always been six, three. I've not been always, I've not always been this height. Okay. Maybe less than that, but this bully in the neighborhood, I mean, reared back and hit me on my chin as hard as he could. I mean, as hard as he could. Now, fortunately, it didn't knock me out. I, therefore, a moment, I'd hoped that I'd be knocked out because it would have been less painful. And so, you know why he did that and why he felt, uh, why he felt the liberty to do it? Because my dad wasn't around. Now, after he punched me, this bully who bullied all kinds of people in the neighborhood, after he punched me in the chin, I got this bright idea because he said he was going to go and do it again. So, I just walked back to the house and I got my dad. And when I brought my dad down, he lost his enthusiasm to hit me again. And how many of you know that's how the devil is? You bring God into the equation of your life, and the devil loses the enthusiasm to wreck your life. It's not about your power. It's about God's power. And prayer brings the power of God. Here's the second thing. It's the power of truth. In your mind, you must begin to replace these lies of the devil with the truth of God. I'm going to mention this verse next week. You got to be here for it. You got, I've already put a lot of hours into next week's talk, but here's this verse. We'll come back to it, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Any of you, I'm, just, I'm a little bit afraid to ask a question. Anybody here ever heard of Houdini? Anybody? All right, Houdini. 
the father of magic. Does that, okay, no, that's not true. The, all right, Houdini. A guy by the name of Alton Gansky uh, wrote this story. He said, Harry Houdini made a name for himself by escaping from every imaginable confinement, from straight jackets to multiple pairs of handcuffs clamped to his arms. He boasted, Houdini did, that no jail cell could ever hold him. Time and again, he would be locked in a cell only to reappear minutes later. It worked every single time except for this one time. He accepted yet another invitation to demonstrate his skill. He entered into the jail cell wearing his street clothes, and the cell door was slammed shut. Once alone, he pulled a thin but strong piece of metal from his belt and began working the lock. But something was wrong. No matter how hard Houdini worked, he couldn't unlock the lock. For two hours, he applied skill, skill and experience to the lock, but failed time and time again. Two hours later, two hours later, I would have given up much sooner than that, but two hours later, he gave up in frustration. The problem, here was the problem on this occasion. The cell door had never been locked. Houdini worked himself to near exhaustion trying to achieve what he could have accomplished by simply pushing the door open. The only place, listen to this now, the only place the door was locked was in his mind. The enemy wants you to believe that you're a prisoner locked by deception. But God says, I've come that you may be free. I've come to give you life, and more abundantly, he who the Son sets free is free indeed. And I'm going to pray this morning. It's really, really important to me. I want to pray because I know what I'm talking about is accurate, that there are many of you, and really the way you think is parallel with how you're going to live your life. You believe that. And the way you're living your life is not the way you want to live your life, but the way you're living your life is tethered back to the way that you're thinking right now. What kind of stronghold do you have in your mind? What is it that God wants you to be set free from? One last verse. You saw it earlier, but look at it. Verse 5 again. We demolish arguments and every pretension, strongholds, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Would you stand with me, everybody? You stand with me, and as you stand, I want you to bow your head. We're going to pick up from here next week. I want to encourage you to be here. I want to encourage you to bring somebody with you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, right where you're at, if you were to say, you know, Pastor Jeff, I'm, I'm, I'm one that is struggling right now. I've never really seen it this way, and what you've been talking about sort of clicked with me, and I believe that I've got a stronghold in my mind, in my life. I love God. I'm committed to God. I know I'm going to heaven, but I've got a stronghold in my thinking I've got a stronghold, and it may be financial. It may be, it may be in your relationships. It may be a habit or addiction, the way that you're thinking in that regard. It may be a spiritual stronghold that has entrenched itself in your mind, but you've got a stronghold. You believe that you do in your mind, and, uh, and you're going to say, hey, I want God to change my thinking. I want to bring these thoughts captive to the obedience of Jesus. If that's you, I want you to put your hand straight up in the air as high as you can. Just put it right up as high as you can, all right? I see it. I see it all over this place. A lot of you, lots, lots, lots of you have your hand. Now you can put them down. I want to pray for you right there where you're at. All right? I'm going to pray for you because I believe that God is able to work powerfully on your behalf. This is not about what you can do. It's about what God can do. And we're going to replace the lies of the devil with the truth of God. And we're going to believe that God is going to push this wrong thinking out of your mind. And you're going to think those kind of thoughts. We're going to talk about in this series, what kind of thoughts does God want us to think? And he tells us the kind of thoughts. And I want to pray for you right here, right now. 
God, I just pray for every single person that raised their hand. I just pray that you would help them. Whatever stronghold the enemy has constructed in their mind, I pray that you would move it out, that you would, with your divine power, God, demolish every stronghold that is in their thinking right here, right now. I pray that you would demonstrate your authority over all things and help us, God, as you empower us to bring every thought captive. We're not going to believe the lies of the evil one. We're not going to be persuaded by the father of lies. We're going to believe truth, what you think about us, God. We're going to believe that. And I just pray that you would demolish every stronghold and help us to think the way that you want us to think, to believe your truth concerning us and our circumstances. If you're here today and you're not a Christian yet, and you say, Jeff, I want to pray. I want to receive Christ. I need Jesus in my life. I know that the devil is too big for me, but he's not too big for God. There's a lot. I don't know about the Bible, but I know that much. If that's you and you want to become a Christian today, I want you to lift up your hand real high and let me pray for you right where you're standing right now. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I see your, and just in your mind, just pray this prayer. Dear God in heaven, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. The devil's too strong for me. He may bully me, but he's not too strong for you, and he can't bully you. I need your power in my life. I need you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Can we just sing this song together, everybody, and then I'll close this out in prayer. And just surrender ourselves fully and completely to God. Can we do it? I give myself away. Jesus. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Yes, Lord. I give myself away. So you can use me. I give myself away. Oh, we belong to you, Lord. I give myself away. So you can use me. I give myself away. Oh, I give myself away. So you. God, and we do that today. We give ourselves away to you. And we pray that you would be the Lord over our lives and the Lord over our minds and our thinking. Give your people a great week this week, God. Bring us back here next Sunday. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. I love you. Have a great week.